0: You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you could follow us on Twitter at Locked On WBB. You can like us on Facebook or go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes, your podcast listen of choice. The uh, more that you do that, the more people hear And understand about the world of women's basketball, something very important to me and I'm sure to you as well. And impossible to understand the world of women's basketball without talking to Mike McLaughlin, a coach at University of Pennsylvania, who is with us to discuss his life in, in college basketball and the Penn Quakers who are on the move. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, thank you for having me. place I would love to start is just where you first fell in love with the game of basketball? Well, take me through some of your earliest memories of it.
0: Well, I mean, I think for, for anyone who's familiar with basketball in the city of Philadelphia, it is, it is a big deal, and it always was and always will be. We're we're a very heavy-populated athletic area. So we're, we grew up being extremely competitive from a young age with, with an older brother, with a father that played with an area that's athletic, um, where everyone's playing multiple sports, so I think it just started from just the the excitement of playing athletics, you know, at a young age. Um, you know, I just felt, pa- I, you know, so much passion for the sport. I mean, all the sports I played, basketball, just drove me and drove me. So it was a it was something that I just loved to do, and I'm I'm
1: happy to continue to do now. I grew up in the Philadelphia area, so I've never really been able to get this clear. Do you think if Philadelphia was given the choice between giving up basketball and giving up soft pretzels, that they would give up the soft pretzels? Probably, right? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. That's the way I feel. I don't know if the the whole population (laughs) believes that, but I certainly do. Understandably so. And so now you played Holy Family and got the opportunity once you graduated to go play for a team that... Is sort of the polar opposite of the type of winning you eventually done as a coach with the Washington Generals. Can you take me through what that experience was like, how that came about, and what you remember from that time, first and foremost?
0: Yeah, I remember very vividly. it I know it was a long time ago at this point, but it's something that I really uh, appreciate every time I get an opportunity to talk about it. I was playing college basketball. The Washington Generals and the Globetrotters were affiliated for. 60 years. Red Klotz was the, the owner of the team. Um, Red happens to live in Margate, New Jersey, which is about 70 miles from the Philadelphia area.
1: Yeah, right down the And,
0: uh, yeah, they, they, you know, they, they they scout the area pretty hard. I, you know, I had a successful, very successful college career, and, you know, they were looking at me to, to see if I wanted to fill a role in, in, in their team, and uh, it just went from there. Red invited me down to his house. Knew nothing other than what I've seen on television at the time from the Globetrotters, Um, but it was something that Red gave me a tremendous opportunity in life, and um, always indebted to him and and his family for giving me that opportunity. And you know, it just spearheaded from there. I I had a successful career there. We traveled the world and had an opportunity to visit 50 countries at the age of 23, 24, 25. Um, so it really gave me a, a broad perspective of the world in different ways and uh, and I think I I value that to today I you know I share them stories very fondly of the experience and um, it's probably one of the best parts of my life you know because now I get to talk about it use experience and hopefully uh, teach and share stories with others
1: so you know I, you mentioned red clots and just an absolute legend in the game that i don't think people talk about enough what was he like personally what was it like to get to know him
0: well i mean red was
1: special to me you
0: know when i got on the team his wife gloria and red took great care of me i was the youngest player on the team at the time I uh, was just out of college. Most of the guys, some of the guys were 8-, 10-, 12-year veterans. And, um, you know, I, I used to, Red, Red played basketball all the way up to a certain age, so Red and I would always go over to the arenas early and shoot with him. So I got to know him personally more than
1: than maybe others
0: did, just because him and I had to share chain bonds, bond. And, um, you know, we went over all the time to the arena early, you know, he, he loved telling about his stories when he played with the Philadelphia Spaws and, and his run with the, the, you know, the, the NBA when he played in Baltimore. Um, he loved to share his stories. I just, you know, I sponged off him. Um, I looked up to him, and he was great to me. And, uh, you know, for me, I know Red right, right passed a few years ago. It's, uh, he's a special man in
1: my, in my life. And, and in terms of the, the losing itself... I'm just curious. Obviously that's something inherent in the identity of the generals, and of course that's all tied up in the whole plan, the whole idea. Was, was that a difficulty? Was that sort of built in and an assumption? Was that something to get used to? You're someone who's had success everywhere you've been, obviously before and since. It wasn't like this was not success, but what was it like uh, em- emotionally? Was there any aspect of it that was yeah. difficult?
0: It was. I mean, success, you know, for us, and that would, you know, to help them perform a great show. Right. And, you know, that was the level of success. So it wasn't, we didn't look at it about winning and losing, you know. You know, it was a a part of our role, our identity. You know, when we played serious basketball, which we did at the time for about 60% of the game, none of that was scripted. We tried to score, they tried to stop us, and vice versa. It was the parts where that was scripted for the audience and the show piece of it, you know, we obviously had to uh, let them execute what they wanted to do and allow them to score. And so it became extremely difficult with the balance to be able to score enough to beat them. And they had control of certain things. They had tro- Anytime they wanted to go r- run through a play, when they went in there, we had to allow them to, to execute it. Right. So it was difficult. But the winning and losing, it really, like, it was a different situation. It was an understanding... We had some great teammates that understood that and played the role, and we also had quite a few ex teammates that didn't understand it and didn't stay out there long. So it wasn't for everyone. It was certainly for me, I certainly understood that. And uh, it was a time of my life, and
1: I'll I'll never forget it. It's it sounds amazing. And of course, you took the traditional route from Washington Generals to uh, Division Two coaching legend and CACC Hall of Famer with Holy Family, going to 400 victories faster than virtually anyone in history. Can you take me through what that experience was like? What holy family giving you the opportunity to coach on the women's side meant and how you managed to have the success you had as quickly as you did well it was was interesting because I you know
0: I was done my playing career I played for the generals as we just talked about for three years and I I quickly went into coaching I I obviously played at holy family the women's coach at the time Kathy Killian I knew because I played there she was coaching when I played Mm -hmm. she was looking for an assistant I was off the road I have a criminal justice degree, so I had opportunities in that field, um, but it was she asked me to be an assistant for a year to help her out. Um, I did. I enjoyed it. I never had aspirations to go on to the women's side. It was just an opportunity at the time, um, so I, I helped her, and at the end of that year, she stepped down and resigned, and the athletic director had asked me if I wanted to be in the pool of candidates. and. You know, I I did I was, and she ended up having enough confidence in me to hire me at a young age, and from there we just, you know, it's it's something that we did well. We we recruited well for that school. We found our niche, and um, brought in a you know a coaching staff that that wanted to just make our school special at the time, and. You know, we had a great deal of success, and what I'm really proud of there was the consistency of the success. You know, we 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 never deviated. We, we were at a high level for 14 years, which is extremely difficult to do. Um, but it was it was a it was a really special run, and um, you know that led me on to you know the opportunities at other schools, and and the one I thought was the most the best for me and my family was the University of Pennsylvania.
1: And I mean, to be a Philly guy and to get that opportunity to have an entry point into the Big Five, like you talked about, to have the opportunity to play your home games at the Palestro. Was that the primary allure for you? Because it can't have been an easy thing to say, all right, look, I'm going to now move on from a place that had to feel very comfortable for you, your your alma mater, and a place where you were having, I mean, look, you were conference coach of the year, 13 of the 14 years you were at Holy Family.
0: Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was something you know, again, from Philadelphia and, and, you you know, you're from the area the the pleasure and the lure of Philadelphia basketball and the big five is something that, that I, I I watched growing up and to, to, to actually think that someday I could have a part of being a coach or a head coach at one of them universities. I have to tell you really, you know, it's beyond my dreams. I, I didn't think that was something that I would ever have that opportunity. So when it, when the opportunity did come about, um, you know, it's something that I, I would only dream of. And um, Steve Bilski, the athletic director at the time, um, gave, me a, gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. And, you know, and, and um, from that point on, I, uh, it's a dream come true. I, eight years now, and to be able to go down there every day and walk around the cars and see the history of that building and all the great players that played at Penn and all other universities around the world, around the country. And, I, and, and then now to have success winning is, is, is really special to me and my family.
1: And in terms of those goals, when you came on what were you thinking the Penn program could be and how quickly did you think you could get it there?
0: Well you know, I mean I, I inherited a, a team that you know, anytime you inherit a change at at another at any level, you know, you're, you're going to get it for a few reasons. One, because the program was doing really well and that coach decided to, to go on to another opportunity. Or the other part is the coach and the program wasn't doing well and they needed a new face to the program. And I inherited the latter. Right. You know, we the program was really struggling. Um... So I I walked into a situation that I thought was going to be extremely challenging. It was probably more challenging than I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in the Ivy League, I I arrived in in May, so the recruiting for that cycle was over. Um, So I was happy, you know, we had nine returning players, and there were three incoming freshmen. um, You know, embraced them as they were mine, and we started building day by day by the culture and trying to teach them things that are eventually going to lead to bigger things and that takes time and you know my first year uh and I say this and I and it was one of my better years of coaching you you know we we only won two basketball games and but it was I was able to I was able to to grow something from the bottom up and I took a lot of pride in that and and that group that you know we were two and 26 my first year and how could you say that that was a great year, but they were embracing change, they were asking for a different level of leadership, and I was just in the right spot at the right time to help them develop and grow, and from that point on, you know, we just kept going forward, and know um and so i'm really proud of where we stand
1: as of today did you know during that two and 26 season that it was working that the culture was taking root you know i've talked to a lot of coaches and you talk about winning is almost a lagging indicator in terms of seeing a program develop into where you want it to be i'm curious whether you saw it in that first season or if there was a turning point in your mind that came a little bit later in your time at penn between then and when you've become this consistent winner
0: yeah, I mean, it was overall, it was, it was, you know, it was a, 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 a level of patience that, that we had to understand. You know, that's the first and foremost. To develop something, and grow something, it's going to take time. And I wanted to do it, as I told uh, uh, Mr. to at the time, I want the opportunity to do it right and not to do it fast, and he allowed me that opportunity. So we made sure we we vetted the right kids, we brought in the right culture, uh Kids that wanted to be involved in what we were trying to develop, and we made really good decisions on really great people, and, um, and I think that's what I I look back on the most, and I still do that today. Howard, I mean, you know, we we try we try to vet the right kids that really want to be a pen, you know, that really understand that academically, athletically, it's a challenge, it's an Ivy League institution, and it's a great fit for the right kids, and it's our job to try to continue to bring quality,
1: quality to student athletes. Specific to that, there's a, a player I'd love to start talking about uh, as it relates to your team this year, and that's Michelle Wichetti, uh Ivy League Player of the Year. It strikes me that she's able to do things uh, physically, you know, both on the, on the boards and in terms of just her overall physical athletic profile, uh, that aren't typical of the Penn teams you've had, even though you've had a lot of success and a lot of terrific players. Do you think she has an opportunity to play at the next level when she's finished playing for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we were fortunate enough. You know, Michelle had,
0: you know, all the BCS opportunities to go play. Ironically, Texas a and M. I I recall being one of her final three or four schools, and you know, we'll be seeing them later in the week That's in the right. NCAA department where, um You know, so we got an opportunity to get a special, special talent that fit what Penn wanted. You know, her, her parents are, uh, saw the opportunities for Michelle and had helped us guide her in the direction where she can play basketball at a very high level. As you know, we're top 50 RPI now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, a, you know, the level of basketball is really high. Now she's getting an opportunity to play basketball at a high level, get an Ivy League education. Um, so she's going to have unlimited opportunities on the basketball floor. She's going to have them in life. And, um, you know, I was telling her father that the other day, and she made a tremendous decision. I'm, I'm really grateful that she landed a pen and we have an opportunity to mentor and coach her because she's special. And I don't know how often they're going to come around for us like Michelle, but why I have her, I'm going to enjoy every minute with her.
1: And and another special player you have, of course, is Sidney Stepanovich. Uh, I had Lisa Stone on the program from Saint Louis University and she was sp- singing the praises of course of Sadie Stepanovich. If you yep. had to make the Stepanovich case for Sydney, what would what would it be as the finest Stepanovich in women's college basketball?
0: Well, I mean I you know, I haven't haven't Sydney every day. I think outside of her skill level and all that is very high and she's a special talent. She's probably the most coachable kid I've ever had in my 22 years of coaching and she's so selfless she's so team driven um you know four years of coaching her I never had to deviate you know with her because she was always the first one on the court the last one to leave like she's that type of kid I and mean, she is is really special I mean she's going to go down as an all time great here at Penn mm-hmm. yes for her numbers and and but to win three or four Ivy League championships uh, with her being the core player, I, I think it's going to be hard to, to match, and she set the bar unbelievably high, um, but one of my all-time favorites to coach, and I just said it was Michelle, and am going to enjoy the time with her, but any time we're around, Michelle, she's very infectious. I mean, Sydney, you know, she's great to be around, and ultimate leader,
1: and what a, what a special career she's had. Oh, and so much fun to watch, but you did note that she had the three championships, and all those championships are not created equal. There was the conference tournament this year, as you know, for the first time. And so I'm curious, just as someone who's been coaching in this league for a long time, uh, you know, I, I was speaking to your colleague at Harvard a few weeks ago, was saying she wasn't sure uh, that it was going to feel the same to win a conference tournament as when in a regular season tournament. How did the two relate? How did you even emotionally become oriented to that feeling and what was the conference tournament experience like? You know, uh,
0: it it was interesting because I think we all didn't know how to react, you know, because the conference, the regular season champion has always went right to the NTA tournament in the Ivy League, as you know, this is the first year. So, you know, we had clinched a share of it last Friday night up at Dartmouth and traveled on to Harvard played the next day and, and, and beat Harvard so we won it outright so we were a little hesitant how you celebrate you know because we won the league but it didn't ensure a bid for us and that's usually the way it's been and for Sydney's prior two championships that's what it was um, it was a tremendous experience you know we, it was at the palestra uh, the Ivy League did a tremendous job we were fortunate enough to to win that two game battle it was open for anyone to win. It was very close, but um, we certainly found a way to celebrate because there was no doubt after that game that we were going to go into the tournament this week.
1: And to that end, by the way, Coach Delaney Smith was talking about some concerns. I've heard this, uh, you know, on background as well from others uh, about having it at the Palestra and having that inherent built-in advantage uh, for Penn. Did you find it to be the case? I I know Princeton traveled pretty well for it. And just if you can remove yourself from the Penn perspective for a moment, do you think it ought to rotate, or do you think when you have, and this has been my argument, something like the palestra at your disposal, just this mecca of college basketball, that that is a perfect home for the conference tournament? Yeah, I I mean, I I understand
0: other schools wanting to rotate. That's only... Perhaps if I was in their position, I would be saying the same thing. So I'm trying to be (laughs) objective and fair. But with that said, there's no place in our conference like the Pallestria. It's the biggest facility. It attracted an unbelievable audience because it was the first Ivy League tournament, but it was at the Pallestria, and I think we have to remember that. It is a special place for basketball. Now... With that said, they did a tremendous job with it. I can see the pushback from the other teams. That's not up for me to decide. But I, I hope they had a great experience and I hope they understand that it can only be done like this. It could be done like this with at the Palestra. I, I don't know if it could be matched anywhere else. And um but I can see the perspective from the Harvards and the Dartmouths and you know, Cornell that they may be five, six hours from the Palestra, you know, and uh, right. but you no, know, it was a very neutral. We, we we were not in our same locker room. They put us in another locker room. like we, we sat on the same bench for for when I've been at Penn for eight years. We were at the other bench, so they did make it as neutral as possible. But there's no doubt we practice in the facility every day. It's a part of what we do. Um, you know, so it was a, it was a great feeling. I, I just jumped to the bottom line. It was a great feeling for Penn to win on Penn's floor.
1: I mean, bottom line, and and maybe we're just two Philly area guys talking about it, It, it's the palestra. you know I, I i just don't see how you make the argument against it uh but you know that's that's like saying you know well there's the taj mahal uh but you know let's consider some other uh areas that are not the, one of the seven wonders of the world but you know perhaps that's just me specific to the ivy though you guys were part of something historic last year and you were uh part of the first two bid ivy in the nca tournament i'm curious over the time as you have looked at things do you think the Ivy League is significantly better than it was even when you came in about a decade ago?
0: Absolutely. I'll I tell you, when, we, when I came into the conference, and it's been eight years now, the Ivy League at the time, we were the 30th rated conference in the country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year we're the 8th rated. And that has slowly, slowly, every year has gotten better. I think we actually finished two years ago at 7. Last year we were at 10. But we went from 30 to 26 to 20. So if if everyone outside of your your audience would look at Ivy League basketball and not stereotype what it used to be. And, you know, I just had the pleasure of watching the men's tournament down here as well. And it is at a high level. It is a high mid-major level basketball. Um, And I hope people would see it that way and not stereotype that it's the Ivy of 15, 20 years ago, which is great basketball too. But there's been a shift. Uh, there's been a shift and you know I think on both sides you're, you're seeing both programs men and women's programs are they getting top 100 150 kids on a yearly basis and um, I think that's increased our talent level to a, a really high level within
1: our league. Yeah, no question. You see some of the uh, out-of-conference victories that you guys have. Not just you, but, you know, Harvard as well went out, and I, I know they beat Temple and beat Kansas. So there are, or Kansas sure. State, There you know, there are big wins that are really significant uh, throughout the conference and the reason why that RPI has gone up. I'm curious whether you spend any time thinking about or in the aftermath if you did about a win you very nearly had which is in that seven ten game last year going out and playing against uh, Washington Kelsey Plum a uh, team that went on to the final four uh, what are your memories of that game and how much did you take it with you how much are you going to take it with you even as motivation with your team this year going into the NCAA tournament? Right. I mean, we haven't
0: got there yet about this year, but I'll tell you, it was a tremendous game. You know, my neighbors and I had a chance to talk about it several times since that, and, um, you know, we had an opportunity that day to, you know, to put ourselves in position to win, and we certainly did. As Kelsey Plum was, she took over the game at the right time, and, um, you know, they deserved it, and they went on and had a tremendous year. It was a great experience. I think it gives us confidence uh, the year before, 2014, we played Texas in the first round. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time we you know we were up seven points at halftime. So we are as competitive as any of the teams. You know, over 40 minutes. It's, you know, their their level of talent's really high. So we're going to see that again this weekend. But um, you know, I'm pleased. I'm really pleased that we're going to be competitive. And have opportunities to have success.
1: And I think it was really significant. You guys got a 12 seed, which is down from the 10 last year, obviously. But to avoid that vortex of 13 through 16, where you are playing uh, on the home floor of the team you're playing against in the first round, I think is really significant and a sign of respect from the committee. I do wonder, though, you're 12 this year 10 last year. If you look at your numbers, you know, especially inside the numbers, your your teams are always terrific defensively. That's just a trademark of what you do. Offensive efficiency, percentage, you guys are actually ahead of where you were last year. Do you think this is a better team on balance than the team you had a year ago? Well, I mean, we we brought back the entire team that played last year. We did have we
0: did have a significant injury midway through the year. We lost one of our wing players that, that really spread the floor and shot the three. So we're a little bit different than we were, um, but we we are efficient. I mean, we do play a lower possession game because the way we defend, uh, we do defend really hard. Um, which takes time off the clock for our opponents so we're not playing at the highest level of possessions in some of these other teams and that's that fits exactly who we are um, but efficiency rate we're getting better I still think there's growth we, we, you know a couple days here of practice I do think we'll be better in the efficiency because I think we're on a trajectory up with uh, that so um, but that's the thing. Can we score consistently enough to, you know, uh, to, you know, to play these these high level BCS teams? And we'll see. And we have been able to do it, so I'm confident that we'll be able to do it again.
1: I agree with you. And for what it's worth, Texas A and M, when you look at their end, uh, have been turnover prone all year. So I think it's actually a particularly good matchup for you. But I am going to be fascinated to see it for sure. And I'm, I'm sure you are too. Probably even more yes. than me. Um, so in terms of what's next for the program. Is it winning in the NCAA tournament? When you think five years from now, do you have an idea as to what perch you'd like to occupy uh, if if you're thinking about Penn basketball?
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 always about Penn basketball, and, and how are we going to continue to sustain something so high? And and I think it's you know it's got to be done the same way we started. It's got to be a culture-driven, talent-driven thought process. Um, you know, I do think. Last year, you said that we had two teams in the Ivy uh, in the NCAA tournament. I would love to see that be consistent so we have multiple ways for our teams to get to the highest level. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love nothing more to be able to to have a team win in the tournament. And I hope it's Penn. I hope we're the first ones in a long time to do it. Um, But that would be satisfying, to, to be able to compete for championships every year in a really tough top eight league. I think is is, is right now is extremely
1: satisfying to everyone as part of our program. Well, the growth is fantastic to see, and I wish you all the best of continued luck, uh, Coach. Thank you for being with us, and thank you. Hey, to that, our, I really
0: appreciate yeah. you having. Me.
1: Absolutely, and, and, and thank you to our listeners, of course. Uh, reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Locked on WBB, like us on Facebook, or go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Uh, I'm Howard Magdahl, wishing you a wonderful day.